This is NBA Sound System Live, featured on NBA.com sites around the world and archived on the NBA Sound System podcast feed, where you get your podcasts by searching NBA Sound System. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, each with the handle at NBA Sound System, or visit us at NBASoundSystem.com for more. Now, NBA Sound System Live. It is indeed NBA Sound System, L-I-V-E Live. Carlin Gay alongside Scott Rafferty. We are smack down in the middle of two pivotal Game 5s coming up at the time of recording. Scott, We, um, if you're listening to the podcast version of this, which many of you are, uh, we may not know the results of tonight's games, but we are going to talk about them anyway, uh, as if we do know the results. We'll try to predict a little bit of the future here. Scott, how are you feeling? I'm great, Colin. We, we have ourselves some series, which is, is fun. Uh, it, it did seem like in the first round there were going to be a few of those series that would go six or seven games, kind of ended a little bit earlier than we thought. Um, but we have three series right now that are going to go at least six. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get a game seven or two. So it, it's good times. How are you doing? You feeling better this week? I, I feel much better this week. I'm ready uh, back in the saddle here and, and feel much like myself. Um, I'm back in playoff form. I fought off whatever I had. It was not COVID, but it was something. And I uh, beat the brakes off that thing. So we got that <laughs> out of here. wasn't a clean sweep. It had me down. It was probably a six-game series between me and whatever I had. Uh, on this episode, we will talk about the uh, Western Conference Warriors. Um, they are one game away from getting back to the Western Conference Finals. We'll also talk about the Dallas Mavericks and their potential upset. They have gotten back into their series, as you alluded to, Scott, tied at two against Phoenix Suns. But we will start with, I think, the Eastern Conference Finals, in my opinion, the the de facto Eastern Conference Finals happening right now between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics. The Celtics with a clutch win on the road in Game 4. Uh, the Bucks looked like they were in control of Game 4, looked like they were going to go up 3-1. Uh, which would have been a surprise to many, given the fact that Chris Middleton has not played in the series. And uh, did the Bucks blow it, Scott? It wasn't a great loss. I think that's fair to say, right? They, they looked pretty comfortable in that game. Giannis was spectacular in that third quarter. And then it kind of felt like, not right after, but shortly after, Giannis stared down Al Horford on that dunk on the fast break that things kind of turned in that game. I mean, Al Horford had... The game of his career certainly one of the games of his career he, he was absolutely spectacular he finished with 30 points um he kind of kept the celtics i thought in that game um all game long and kind of set the table for jason tatum and marcus smart to take over in the last four or five minutes of the game when both of them kind of found their groove and took the celtics over the finish line i i hope it's just been so good i mean that trade i think when it happened made a lot of sense um there was some questions about it obviously considering you know al Horford's age his contract all that sure. he's been a perfect fit on this team offensively giving him that spacing defensively i mean he's spent most of this series kind of chasing around Giannis, and we know how difficult of a task that is and Giannis has still been dominant i mean he's Giannis; he's arguably the best player in the world right now but i think Horford has at least made him work for everything right and you look at the matchup data which is far from perfect um, but it says that Giannis is shooting 9 for 53 with Al Horford as his primary defender in this series. That's 35.8%. So so Horford is doing his job. He's making Giannis work, giving them a punch offensively. Now we have a series tied at 2-2. Celtics regain home court advantage. I, I think this is, for me, that game was one way you could really tell the Bucks missed Chris Middleton. Sure. Like Giannis was incredible for three quarters, three and a half quarters. And it was a lot of Drew Holiday down the final stretch. And I think that's one of those situations where 
you're more comfortable Chris Middleton taking those shots, running those pick and rolls with Giannis. I think that really hurt them in that game. But also the Celtics, I mean, they were without Robert Williams in this game. Um, and we all know he was, he was you know, a legitimate defensive player of the year, candidate of the season. Um, Ime Yudoka said that he's expected to play in game five. Right. So I, I do think this is a pretty tough loss for the Bucs, considering the situation they were in that game, how they, they, they blew that fourth quarter. The Celtics outscored them 43-28. to 28. Um, Now the Celtics have home court advantage, going back to Boston, potentially a full roster. Um, and, and I mean, you know, this, the, the Bucs are still without Chris Middleton. I'm assuming um, that he doesn't play in this series. So... Look, it's, it's, it's incredible how quickly things can change in a series. Like, I, I feel like that's the case every single playoffs. I remind myself that. Um, but just living it, you know, it's, it's a possession here or there can completely shift the series. And it felt like we were kind of five, ten minutes away from being like, you know, bucks up 3-1 going back to Boston. Like, this is a pretty bad situation for, for Boston to be in. But it's, it's anyone's series now. Yeah, it is. And, and this is the only series where I, I really can't call it at this point. I had the Bucks winning this series in seven before it started. Wouldn't shock me if it goes the other way. This is the only series that's really a toss-up to me. I think the other three series are pretty much uh, decided, and we'll get to those in a little bit. But this, you said it, um, Chris Middleton is the reason why the Boston Celtics were able to get back into the series. And this is where the Bucks miss Chris Middleton. It's not defensively. It's not throughout the games, the first three quarters or three and a half quarters. It's really in closing situations. And I, I think I said this on this pod, and I might have even said it to you uh, in, our, in our morning meetings, but I always thought that, that the Bucks were at their best when Chris Middleton was the closer for this team. As great as Giannis is, it doesn't mean he's a better player than Giannis by any means. Not That's not what I'm saying. But he is a better closer than Giannis is. Uh, his decision making, his ability to shoot from you know deep, uh, his ability to create his own look and create for others, and then you can't foul him and put him on the free throw line because you'll pay the price. He's going to make those free throws. I think they miss that. Um, while Giannis is has proven that he can close games, but to do it on a consistent level is tough for him. It's tough for any big man, to be honest with you. It's tough for any big man to be able to close games on any consistent level. That's why Kobe needs Shaq. That's why uh, Hakeem Olajuwon needed uh, Clyde Drexler and uh, the other guards on the, the, the Rockets when they were able to go back-to-back. Back. That's why Tim Duncan needed Manny Ginobili and Tony Parker to help him close games. Big men always struggle in these situations when they have the opportunity to close games. Uh, and you add on the fact that Giannis isn't the greatest three-point or free-throw shooter, rather. Um, you know, that throws another wrench into the plans, and it just makes him easier to guard down the stretch of ball games if you could just foul him and put him at the line and take your chances there. With Chris Middleton and having the ball in his hands, you can't do that. And then also, you allow Giannis to be a screener and, and have Giannis still as a part of the action rather than just having him stand off into the corner um, or stand around with the basketball and, and waiting for him to create something out of nothing. So, you know, the Bucks still are in this series very much so. It's a 2-2 series tie. I'm calling Drew Holiday out. The Bucks do not win this series unless Drew Holiday turns into the Drew Holiday that we know he's capable of being. 5 for 22 in game four. Um, yes, he scored 16 points. Yes, he was able to get to the line. Uh, but he, he just, just didn't have it uh, at the end of that game. He just didn't have it to close that game. And anytime you shoot five for 22, it's going to be a tough night for you, um, you know, on the other end. So I think the Bucks are still right where they want to be. Um, I think we knew the series would go six or seven games. It's like it's, it's, it's going to go down to the wire here. But it's all going to be for if the Bucks are going to win this series, they're going to need Drew Holiday to be more efficient and more assertive 
down the stretch of ball games. If he's not going to if he's not going to do that, then the Celtics will be moving on. Um, on the other end, you know, you can't expect Al Horford to come out and score 30 points every night. Uh, but he did his job. You know, he, 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 he did his job in game four. It's up to Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown to take them the rest of the way. Tatum bounced back after a poor shooting effort in game three. Um, still wasn't great from the field, but it felt like he was more apt to be attacking the rim this time around than uh, settling for some of those step aside threes and, and fade away twos that he likes to take. Uh, it did feel like he, he took the opportunity to put his head down a little bit and get to the tin. Jalen Brown, you know, was a quiet uh, game four for him, but he had some key, key plays, um, you know, in that game that, that kept the score ticking over uh, and allowed them. And same with Marcus Smart. He had some key finishes down late in the game uh, where he bullied his way to the basket and figured things out. So I think the Celtics are right where they want to be. They're always going to be in games because they're defense. Uh, it's really when their offense is playing smartly, that's where they're dangerous. Uh, and you could see the glaring hold on the Celtics is, is sort of the same as the Bucks. The Bucks have a Chris Middleton uh, issue. Um, you know, obviously, if you lose an all-star in anyone's team, it's going to be tough to replace that. The Boston Celtics have a point guard issue. They do not have anyone on the team. I know Marcus Smart plays point guard, but he he's not the true uh, cerebral point guard that I think that they need that would take them over the top. And I, and I don't know where that comes from now or if they, they were able to add that in the offseason. Um, but I, they are a, a point guard away from being the Phoenix Suns, really, um, from being a team that, you know, that's head and shoulders above everyone else in the Eastern Conference, in my opinion. I mean, it's funny that you say that, though, because we just said, like you just said it, this could be the Eastern Conference Finals, essentially. You know, I think for a lot of people, whichever team makes it out of this series, which it sounds like we're both kind of like 50-50 on the fence, any team could win it, is going to make the finals. And anytime you're in there, you can win the championship. Like, you never know what situation is going to be. And I do think this Celtics team is good enough to win it all. So it, it is funny considering, you know, like, I agree with you. They, they, they probably do need more of a, someone who can get them in their offense. I mean, Marcus Smart's had a great year. He was defensive player of the year, had the best passing season of his career. It felt like a lot of the stuff that he's done in the past, which um, can hurt the Celtics like down the stretch of game, some of his decision-making. Like he, he was just a much smarter, better decision-maker this season. Jason Tatum's taken a leap as a passer. Um, but yeah, I mean, if they had that extra person who kind of connect them offensively, um, make that extra pass. And I, I think we've talked about this before too. I think that's another reason why the Al Holford trade was such a big deal for them because they don't have a traditional point guard. So right. having a big man who can make those quick decisions, who can hit a three, but also, you know, make that extra pass to someone in the corner when a team rotates over. Um, he had a, a big one, if I remember correctly, in the game yesterday uh, when he ran a pick and pop and then hit someone in the corner. It may have been Derek White um, for a three. Um, but I mean, th- look, this team is so good still though. Um, especially when Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown can get going. Jalen Brown dealt with foul trouble in this game, but to your point, made some big plays down the stretch. But defensively, and really both teams, by the way, like we, we do talk a lot about the Celtics defense because they were the best defense in the league this season. The Bucks weren't quite as good in terms of defensive efficiency, but I think a lot of that had to do with Brooke Lopez, uh, your favorite player, not being available basically the entire season. But we're really seeing it in this series. Like they're making it difficult for the Celtics. Um, they really couldn't get anything offensively going until that fourth quarter where obviously things kind of fell into place for them. Um, but I mean, Giannis in particular is just an absolute monster on that in the court. He is. He is. He's the best player in the league for a reason. He gets it done on both ends of the floor. All right. Uh, give me your prediction for game five here. What do you think happens? Who do you think wins? 
I, I feel like I'm leaning more Celtics. I think this could still go to seven games. So maybe I'm going Celtics game five, Bucks game six, and then we'll, we'll see what happens in game seven. I think the winner of game five wins the series. I know I picked the Bucks to start this thing, but I just think that the Celtics have a little bit more if Chris Middleton's not going to show up here, uh, which it doesn't look likely for the Milwaukee Bucks. So I, I do have Celtics winning game five and the series ultimately. Um, and that, w- that would mean we would have a new champion here in 2022 if it goes that way. All right. Um, I'm mad, Scott. Uh, the Phoenix Suns. It's a great start uh, to a next segment. Yeah, the Phoenix <laughs> Suns are are they, they've gotten on my nerves here, and I really and truly am disappointed by the way that they've gone through this second round matchup with the Dallas Mavericks. Um, all year long, they've played head and shoulders above everybody else, not just in the conference but the entire league. They've had supreme focus going into every single regular season game. They only lost, what, 15 games in the regular season? They only lost back-to-back twice, I think, after uh, the first four games uh, of the season. Um, You know, it it always seemed like they were reeling off wins after win, uh, tough situations in in, in road trips that you think, oh, maybe they they might take their foot off the gas pedal here. Uh, That didn't happen. They they were able to really pull through. I remember, you know, Monty Williams talking at All-Star Weekend about how focused this team has been, not just on the floor, but in practice, in the film room, and everything else. And that's what really led me to believe, all that led me to believe that I think that this Phoenix Suns team should win the NBA title this year. But I'm really disappointed by their performance in Game 3, and even more disappointed by their performance in Game 4. It's out of character for this team to um, look like they're flustered by this Dallas Mavericks squad. It's out of character for Chris Paul to foul out of a game, 22 minutes played in game four. It's out of character for him to not realize that he's in foul trouble and he's trying to hunt fouls, uh, you know, in, in rules that he helped create to, you know, you know, mitigate some of these foul calls. Like it is out of character for uh, them to not play their offense. It's out of character for, you know, Cameron Payne to come off the bench and look very pedestrian after having a great not only regular season, but a great postseason last year where he turned it up a notch. DeAndre Ayton, they went away from him completely um, in the last two games. I don't know what what that's all, all about. After he really dominated the first two games. And now they're tied at two. And I still think they're going to win the series. But I'm less confident in them winning the NBA title based off of the last two games uh, and, and the way that things have happened. They, they just... They just don't seem to have the same focus that they've had over the la- over the regular season, which is normally the reverse. Like normally, you see, you see the lapses in concentration in the regular season, then they figure out in the playoffs. This is the playoffs. This is a, a real team in front of them in the Dallas Mavericks, and you know they're going into a game five. Yes, it's at home, but against a guy who can light you up for fifty and steal one on you, and then you'll be in a situation where in a must-win game on the road where you're now leaving it up to chance. I don't think that's you know championship level basketball. I need to see the Phoenix Suns blow the Dallas Mavericks out in game five to get back on the bandwagon and say this team is a title contender. Like I said, I still expect them to win the champ or to, to win the series, but to win the championship, I, I am upset that you know they've they've come out this way. And I mean, that, that first round series with the Pelicans wasn't easy for them either. And New Orleans really came along at the end of the, last, uh, at the, end of the season. Devin Booker was injured for, what, two, two, two games in that series. So that, that does explain some of their struggles. But it, it, like, it hasn't been 
a dominant playoffs really for them to this point. And like you, I've been a huge fan of what the Suns have built over the last couple of seasons. I thought they were kind of going to steamroll their way at least to the Western Conference Finals um, and potentially to the finals, depending on what that matchup was. So it, it is funny in this series that the the first two games, like Luka Doncic did everything and, and was just, you know, dominant. Um, and those are the two games that the Suns won. And then he kind of comes back down to earth and has two pretty mediocre games by his standards, which is still, you know, 25, 8 and 5 or whatever it is. And those are the two games the Suns lose. And I... I don't think that's a coincidence. Like Jalen Brunson came alive after two really quiet games to start this series. Dorian Finney-Smith caught fire in game four uh, from three. And this team is built around Luka. It is a heliocentric offense, but that doesn't mean they like they, they he still needs help. He still needs Jalen Brunson to be able to carry them in stages. Um, their three-point shooting is just so important. And it's funny, you know, I, I think... The Jazz have become an easy punching bag over the last couple of seasons because of their, their limitations, um, especially Rudy Gobert. Everyone loves to kind of pile on him after they fall. They collapse defensively in a series. But we're kind of seeing like, you know, the Jazz are running five out and just bombing from three. Um, and they're doing the same thing against the Suns team that was, I think, the second best defensive team in the league this season. Um, you know, DeAndre Ayton should be better equipped to kind of defend these teams. And they're, they're having a hard time keeping up with it as well. Like, it's just really hard to play to defend a team like this when they're playing five out. Um, and by the way, I, I do think the Mavs deserve more credit for what they've been able to do defensively, you know, especially on Chris Paul. Um, in that game three, he had seven turnovers, all of which came in the first half. Um, in game two, he fouled down 23 minutes. You know, Dorian Finney-Smith has been great. Reggie Bullock has been great, um, kind of guarding Chris Paul and Devin Booker. They were a great defensive team all season long. Uh, Maxi Kleber has been big for them as well, a guy who can defend the perimeter, step out on switches and things like that. Um, so I, I think some of this is uncharacteristic from the Suns. Like you said, they've just been dialed in on both ends of the court for the last two seasons. It feels like they're very surgical in what they do. They don't make mistakes. They don't get beat um, by the small things. But the, I, I think the Mavs deserve a lot of credit for the things that they've been able to do the last two games. And to your point, like, Luka Doncic is the best player in the series. Um, and it's it's close. Devin Booker is, is awesome. He's a top, you know, 10, 15 player in the league. Chris Paul is as well. Um, Devin Booker is going to get MVP votes this season, I think. You know, we know he wasn't a finalist. We know he didn't win it, but I think he's going to get votes. Um, but, but Luka Doncic is top five player in the league. Um, and anytime you have that guy, I don't think you want to go to a game seven because to your point, he can go for 40. He can go for 50. He can get you a 40-20-10 a game. Um, and he's looked... Aside from last, like the last two games, he hasn't shot particularly well. He still looked pretty comfortable, I think, to me, attacking the Suns, um, even against Mikel Bridges. He's found himself in the post. He, he looks a lot more comfortable kind of attacking them with his back to the basket the last couple games. So, yeah, I think, I think the Suns need to take care of business on their home court, um, and they need a lot more urgency going back to Dallas because I wouldn't want to do a Game 7 against Luka. That, and that's a key word for me there, Scott, urgency. And uh, after the performance in Game 3, I said to myself, there's no way that Suns aren't going to come with urgency and effort in game four. And that game was over in the first quarter. And I know that, you know, Phoenix, you know, made, you know, a, a couple runs there to close in within and uh, get within striking distance. But they were down by as many as 17 in that game at one point. They lost the first quarter by 12 points. By the end of that first 12 minutes, I knew that it was over. I knew that the Phoenix Suns just they they just weren't there, you know, mentally uh, and playing at the level 
that you know they should have been playing at and what that what that has done has allowed Dallas to believe that they can actually win the series now that Dallas should never believe that you know I know I know they you know every team goes out with the belief that they could win games but they actually believe that they can win the series now and that's all on the Phoenix Suns fault like they they have no one to blame but themselves do the Suns if they end up going down 3-2 if they're game five tonight it's it's your fault you know you, you guys had a team on the ropes after they destroyed them in the first two games and Luka played as well as he did, that should have been the mental hurdle that the, the, the Mavs could not get over. You know, play, hey, our best player played as best, as, as great as he could, and we weren't even close. This is just a better team. We'll roll over. We'll go into the offseason and think about next year. Instead, now they're, they're thinking about stealing one on the road and closing it out at home in game six. I am upset with the Phoenix Suns and their effort. And, and for the coach of the year, Monty Williams, that you know, it, it, this is his biggest game. Um, I think in his coaching career in Game Five coming up here, because if he loses this, there, there's going to be huge question marks and a lot of pressure on him heading into Game Six in Dallas. Uh, I, I feel the same way about the Heat, honestly. Um, you know, I I know we 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 weren't going to talk too much about this game, but I feel the exact same way about the Heat. There was a point in the first quarter, Scott. They scored 79 points in Game Three. Like, what are we watching here? Is this 1990s basketball? Did they not take a three-pointer all game? They scored 79 points in all of game three. The, the, the Suns and the, and, and, the, uh, and the Mavs are scoring that at halftime. <laughs> it's been rough. And look, I think some of this, not to this extent, but some of this we kind of thought could be the case with the Heat going into the playoffs, right? Because there were a lot of questions. 79 about- points, though? About I, yes, offense. you could struggle to score. That is, you and I can go out good. there and score and score okay. close to seventy nine points. I, I don't know, Colin. Um, we, that that reminds me of a conversation. Didn't you say you could get like five rebounds in the two. NBA game? It was two. It was yeah. two. Okay, two rebounds. Yeah, I that, that actually more. doesn't sound as bad um, as I remember it being. But I, either way, and I mean, no, look, it's it was even even more rough in Game Four considering Jimmy Butler had one of the best games of his career, right? Going off of 40-plus points. Um, he really had it going, but they, they no one else really could. I know Bam Adebayo had some plays down the stretch, but, I mean, look, Kyle Lowry has not been himself in these playoffs. That's a huge loss for them. He's dealing with that hamstring injury. Um, the, the, he's such an important part to this team. I know he doesn't put up... He's never been one to put up big scoring numbers, but how he gets them going in transition, his ability to kind of spot up, play off ball, run the pick and roll, um, I, I think they're missing his contributions. It. I wonder if we see Duncan Robinson um, in these coming games. He, he hasn't played. Um, you know, they, they, they could do with his three-point shooting. I know he hasn't had a great season, but having that threat out there, opening up the floor a little bit more for other players... Um, you know, that might help Tyler Hero get going a little bit more. Bam Adebayo, give him more space to work with. But I, I will say, Colin, I I wasn't a big believer in this, this 76ers team. I, I picked the Raptors in the first round to beat them. I picked the Heat in the second round to beat them as well. A lot of that had to do, the second round in particular, had to do with Joel Embiid's injury, not knowing when he would return, what he would look like. But, you know, they, they, they keep... I got to give it to them. They keep proving me wrong. Um, Doc Rivers also, you know, a lot of people, he's had some playoff failures in the past. It is pretty impressive that he went up against Nick Nurse in the first round and Eric Spolster in the second round. Two of the what? Three best coaches, um, potentially the, the two best in the league right now. And he's done a lot of really good stuff on court, I think. Um, but, you know, Joel Embiid, even when he's not 100%, he impacts the game on both ends of the court. Everything kind of falls into place, it feels like, when he's out there. We know he's a dominant scorer. He's an improved passer. He's a great defender. 
Um, and then James Harden in that last game, kind of turning back the clocks, looking like the James Harden that I think the Sixers thought they were going to get when they pulled off that trade. Um, I, I don't know how much more we can expect kind of all those games moving forward for him because it's, you know, I, I think for the last year, basically, it's been pretty clear that that hamstring injury has given him some trouble. It's robbed him off some of his lift around the basket, stuff like that. Um, he's still an incredible playmaker, but if he can kind of give them a little bit of that scoring punch um, alongside Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, I know both of us had concerns following that trade, kind of how he'd fit in with his team, but he's had a really good playoffs to date. He's figuring it out. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I continue to be impressed with the 76ers team. Yeah, he's figuring it out. I think I think that's been the big difference for the Sixers and the reason why they're in the second round and tied at two is, is not only, uh, you know, James Harding having the big game, but I think Tobias Harris is slowly starting to figure out where he can get his in this role uh, that he's in as the third, sometimes fourth score. And he's doing it efficiently, Scott. I think that's the big difference. I know he didn't have a big uh, output on in game four, 13 points, but it was efficient, 60% from the field. Um, you know, when you are in that third slash fourth scorer role, uh, it's not enough that you you score. You have to do it efficiently because you're only going to get, you know, 10 shots max. You're, you're only going to get eight shots sometimes. Uh, and if you're not efficient in those, you know, those eight to ten shots, then then you're it just looks like a big donut on the score sheet for you. And I think Tobias Harris is finding his groove a little bit um, in this role that he's in, and he, he seems even more confident. And that's even turned into him being a better defender. Like he mm -hmm. he's done a great job in this series defensively. Um, I know he doesn't get a ton of credit for that, but and last series against Raptors. Yeah, against Laptors as well. But there's been times in his career where he's been hunted on the defensive end. That hasn't happened uh, this year in the playoffs. Uh, so Tobias Harris, I know we were uh, we were tough on him around the trade period, trying to figure things out. But he, he's he's slowly getting it. And the, this Sixers team's clicking better than I thought it would. I don't know if they win the championship this year, but I do think that their window is a lot more open uh, for future seasons. Um, you know, as they spend more time together, uh, people forget like this trade just happened a couple months ago, and, yeah. and we're expecting them to be clicking on all cylinders. Some of these guys have never played with each other; they barely had practice in the second half of the season to get ready. Um, you know, and then, and you're bringing in a ball dominant uh, player like James Harden, who has you know very uh, you know a lot of quirks to his game, and he's also trying to learn his teammates where do they like the ball, where you know where is he finding them to be in the great spots they want to be in. And and dealing with injuries, uh, you know, to your to your best player, that's tough to do for them to be two two. You have to give them credit. But I am disappointed in the Miami Heat because they had a team that was dead to rights and they let them back in the series. And again, just like the Mavericks, the Sixers team feels like they could go on the road, steal one in Miami. And all of a sudden, this series uh, could end in Philadelphia in game six. So uh, two huge, huge, huge game fives. Uh, I'm really excited for the games on Tuesday night. Uh, it, it is uh, this is this is really for me, um, you know, must watch TV. What do you what do you do when you have a, a big game to watch? You, what, what's your favorite snack? What do you what do you what do you do? Honestly, I usually I either eat dinner before or, or during halftime of the first game. Okay, and that's it. I just sit back. I try not to spend too much time on Twitter. Um, okay. I, I'm just I'm just locked in. Maybe I have a snack at like 10, 10 30, depending on how late I'm staying up. But okay. but Colin, like you, I'm I'm a little I'm 30 now. I, I, I'm a little bit washed. I can't stay up until midnight every night. So sometimes I'll watch the first half of the second game and catch the second half in the morning. Yeah. It all depends on how I feel. Yeah. I, I for game for games of this magnitude, even the late game, Scott, I think I'm gonna try and make it to the end. 
Um, I, I, I try, I try to get a nap in, uh, somewhere around five, um, on, on, and then, you know, I have to have a bag of chips. There's no, for me, a big game isn't a big game if I cannot crack open a bag of chips and I won't give the way the, the company away because, you know, they're not paying for the spot. So, uh, but yeah, I, I am a, uh, I'm a big chip guy. No, no soda or anything like that. It's water, but big, big chip guy. You can't have okay. a, a big game without a bag of chips. That's uh, that's my motto. Um, it's a future sponsorship opportunity, by the way. It is. It is. Any chip yeah. company listening out there. <laughs> uh, all right, there there is a uh, a team in Golden State uh, that that are clicking on all cylinders, and they are taking advantage of what's in front of them. John Morant did not play in Game Four on Monday night, uh, and they beat the gold the the Memphis Grizzlies to go up three one and have an opportunity to go to Memphis and close the series out in five games and get that rest veteran team. I feel like they're going to do it. I feel like the series is over. I think I said that last week. I think I said, um, you know, even with John Moran, it would be tough for me to see the Memphis Grizzlies moving on just by the way that that game one went. I, I thought that the the Grizzlies really let that one slip away. No, they came back in game two and John Moran had a terrific game and tied the series up at one, but he needed to score 47 to do that. Um, you know, and in and, and game one where the Warriors did not play their best game, had Draymond Green out, um, you know, early in that game, uh, Clay missed some free throws. That does not happen in clutch situations. He missed some open threes in the clutch situations. Steph didn't have a greatest game and they still were able to pull that one away. That right there was a series for me. Uh, and, and I think the series ends in five now, even with even with John Morant's able to play in game five, which we don't know yet. Um, but what a season for the Memphis Grizzlies, but I, I, I am really starting to feel like the Golden State Warriors are figuring it out and uh, are playing to the level where you expect to see them um, potentially in the NBA Finals. I'm with you. I, I think, you know, after just talking about the Suns, I think the way that the Warriors have played, like we probably expected the Suns to do this, right? Win the first round in five games. Maybe the second round of five games, take advantage of any opportunity that's there in front of them. Um, I mean, look, they've been great. I, I still do. I mean, the fact that Steph Curry um, has looked the way that he has after the injury, I think that's, you know, the, the number one most important thing for them. Clay Thompson has been up and down, but he's had that he's had moments even in that game one. You know, he missed those two free throws down the stretch. He also hit the game winning three uh, um, and it was it, it felt like a very clay moment. Jordan Poole has probably been the most surprising player, I feel like, in these playoffs. Um, that's not to say that he didn't have a great season. He did. Um, he, he got some. He probably didn't get as much most improved buzz as people thought he should. Um, but he's really stepped it up a notch in these playoffs, and it completely changes his team. Having a guy like that, um, being able to carry them offensively in a way that's kind of Steph-like, Clay-like, the ability to get hot, create shots for himself, run off of screens, um, that's been huge for them. But I, I think for me... The Gary Payton, the second injury, does hurt them. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, he, he's not a guy who teams are going to be keyed in on offensively, but defensively, I mean, he might, he's the best perimeter defender on the team. Um, you look at the next round, if they, assuming they do advance, they're going to play a Suns team that's led by two of the better guards in the league, and Chris Paul and Devin Booker. I think he would have taken on one of those matchups. And even Luka Doncic, if Dallas advances, you know. Luca has a huge size advantage on Gary Payton the second, but just being able to kind of throw him at him um, if they want, when they want, um, that that would have been huge for them. And, and not having him does kind of lead to some, I think, lineup questions for them. Like, do you start Jordan Poole? Um, the last couple of games, they've started Jonathan Kaminga, and he barely played in that game four win. 
Um, but it does leave sort of an opening there. And I also think what we're seeing in the playoffs is that, I mean, Memphis has not been shy about helping off of Draymond Green and basically daring him to score. Um, it hasn't really hurt the Warriors yet. And by the way, I mean, Draymond is arguably the best defensive player in the league. Um, I've talked before, I think, on this podcast of how it does annoy me a little bit when people say that he's a zero offensively because I think that completely ignores the fact that he's one of the best passes, not only at his position, but in the league. Um, and his quick decision-making, the passes, the reads that he can make is what really allows kind of Clay, Steph, and now Jordan Poole to flourish offensively and off-ball. Um, but there's no denying that, you know, he... he, he he hasn't really looked to score for what the last like two or three years like that's just never been a big part of his game and it feels like it's becoming less of a part of his game the older that he gets um and again it hasn't really hurt them too much in this series but i think that's that's definitely going to be something i'm going to watch uh kind of next series and beyond because i think there's going to be teams that are kind of better equipped to to hone in on that yeah we'll we'll, we'll see what happens but i, I do think that they're going to move on here i, I do think uh, that they'll close this out in five. They understand the importance of rest. Um, and it was interesting. The quote of the playoffs to me was Steve Kerr talking about how, uh, you know, when, when, the, when they closed out the Nuggets, talking about how hard it is to win and close out a series. But then also he, he mentioned that I think the team kind of forgot. I'm paraphrasing, of course. He said, you know, the team kind of forgot how tough it is to close out, uh, you know, a, a series. And he's right. You know, this is a this is a team that you know hasn't been in the finals uh, the last two seasons. Uh, a team that you know has a lot of players that never stepped foot in the finals. You know, we always talk about Draymond, Steph, and Clay, uh, and act as if that's the team. You know, <laughs> there are a ton of other players on the team that have never played in big stake games, uh, and and they're getting their taste right now in the postseason. It, it doesn't help to have those three guys. Uh, you could throw in uh, Looney and, and you know Iguodala, who's not playing but is there for his you know veteran leadership. Uh, you could throw those guys in and say, uh, yeah, it, it's nice to have those that that presence in your locker room. You're better to have them than not have them. But you have no idea, you know, what and how Andrew Wiggins is going to react in those situations. You have no idea how you know Gary Payton is going to react in those situations, or uh, even Kaminga. And you know, Kaminga is a rookie uh, starting in these in these playoffs, and he's he's getting you know pretty much baptism by fire in these series. Um, you know, he played what five six minutes in Game Four, something like that. Um, yeah. You know, it it's 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 learning on the fly for a guy like that. So you know, you have no idea how these guys are going to react in these situations, and. I think another opportunity for them to gain valuable experience is going into Memphis, which will be a hostile environment. That crowd is going to be red hot, uh, and, and to, to close them out at home would be a huge feather in the cap of the Golden State Warriors if they're able to do it. So um, I do think they they can do it. Uh, I know I, I I think I said on this show or it might have been somewhere else, but Steph hadn't had that game yet throughout the playoffs i think he had it in game four or at least a quarter but he hasn't had that game yet um but he's capable of doing it we know that clay's capable of doing it so uh, i'm really worried if i'm the memphis grizzlies uh because the warriors are going in there with a chip on their shoulder not a lot to lose uh they're playing with house money here and you know the the grizzlies x's and o's wise have to figure things out and also they just have to pray that you know john Morant can give him something and if he can't um you know someone's gonna have to step up on the team and i just don't know if they have the firepower to combat uh the the warriors and, the, and how they're playing right now so that series for me ends in five uh and, and i do think the warriors will take advantage of the rest and you know they they are playing great basketball not not surprising uh 
uh, you know, clicking at the right time. By the way, uh, betting odds have Steph Curry as the favorite now to win finals MVP, an award that has eluded him um, for, for many years. So very interesting. If Vegas is saying it, hey, um, a lot of people should be, uh, should be paying attention to what the Warriors are doing in this playoffs. All right, uh, let's close on this, Scott. Um, last week, a report came out that Donovan, or sorry, Rudy Gobert went into uh, Jazz front office and said, hey, it's, it's me or Donovan, um, Donovan or me. Uh, Rudy came back and refuted that report. Um, and here we are where the Jazz are out earlier than expected once again. Maybe not earlier than expected, but earlier than they should be. Um, and they are at a crossroads. Our, uh, our Steph No wrote the story that they should break up this this pairing between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, they being the Utah Jazz. I think you feel strongly that it is time to move on from the Mitchell-Gobert uh, pairing, and I think I'm coming around on it. I was a little bit on the fence, but after watching them in the first round and just the chemistry between the two, I think they're probably better off uh, on either, you know, you know, other teams, not 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 necessarily um, one or the other, but other teams. But if you were in the Utah front office and someone came to you and said you have to make a trade, Donovan or Rudy, who do you trade, and why? I will say, by the way, I, I think going into this playoffs, I wasn't under the mindset that like if they fall short, they should blow it up and and go in a new direction. I think, like you said, the fact that there's, I think, pretty clear chemistry issues and like something's not clicking with them, I think that's kind of what's led to this point where they probably do need to do something. And by the way, um, not everyone has to like each other, right? Like there, right. there's chemistry issues on on teams, championship teams in the past that they've been able to figure it out on the floor, but this just doesn't feel like it's it's getting fixed anytime soon. It feels like every time they talk about fixing the issues, it, 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 it's a lie, right? Like it feels like they're just, you know, spewing uh, BS that they don't even believe. So I, I think that's why I'm coming around to the point where, all right, if it's not working on the court, like they, they just don't fit on the court and they're not fitting off the court, then maybe it's time to move on. It, it is a very interesting question though, because I do think, I think it's fair to say like, Donovan Mitchell will probably get them the greatest return, right? If they traded him, they could probably get the most in return for him compared to Gobert. On the other hand, Gobert is so important to what they do on both ends of the court. You know, defensively, he is their defense. Like, without him, we saw that in the games that he missed this season, they had no chance of basically stopping anyone. Offensively, yes, he is limited. But what he does, kind of pick and rolling teams, um, sending relentless screens, his offensive rebounding um, in particular is so important to this team. For me, I, 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 I'm just I'm really high on Donovan Mitchell. I think he's made big strides um, every year, basically offensively. I thought he was a legitimate All NBA third team candidate this season. Um, defensively, he you know hasn't become the defensive player that I think many projected him to be, kind of coming into the NBA. And I'm sure some of that was down to you know people thought he'd have to be kind of a specialist. Um, to really find his role in the NBA where not many people really saw this offensive explosion from him. I, I still believe that he can improve defensively and maybe, you know, a different, it, it feels weird to say considering that he's had the best defensive center in the league behind him for the last, what, like five years um, that he hasn't been a better defender, but I still think, you know, there's, there's stuff left there for him. Um, and ultimately I think, you know, he, he's going to sell tickets more than Rudy Gobert is. So I, and he's younger, by the way, you know, Rudy Gobert is going to turn 30, I think next month. 
And Rudy Gobert is still in the prime of his career. He still had a great season, um, although you know the Jazz season didn't end the way that they wanted it to. Um, he still he was a finalist for Defensive Player of the Year, still dominant on that end of the court. Um, I think he still has some great years ahead of him. But I, I just think you know the fact that Donovan Mitchell is younger, um, what he's able to do offensively, I, I do lean more towards keeping him um, and probably trading Rudy Gobert. But it's 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 not an easy decision, and this is why you know people paid the big bucks to make these decisions because you know it's going to shape the the franchise for years, you know, potentially like a decade to come. Like these these are uh, huge moments um, when you have to trade stars of their caliber if they decide to do of course yeah if if they decide to do it so if if it i I completely disagree with what you said i think i am in the situation i'm the gm the utah jazz i'm shopping donovan mitchell um and and here's why one i think you're gonna get the better return for him um two i think what he gives you which is volume scoring you could find that in the nba there are there are plenty of players that are able to give you that in the NBA. Now, do we know if there's plenty of players that are able to give you 57 in a playoff game? Probably not, right? Like he he does have, um, you know, games where he can explode uh, and and you know and, and take it to the next level. And I think that's what makes him special. But I think if you're looking at it from you know just the regular season and in, on into the playoffs, you know, 82 games and just consistent scoring. What did he average this year? Was it 20? you know, 25, 26 points a game, which is no joke, right? Like that's, that's, that's a lot of points. Um, but there are a lot of players in the NBA given 20 shots per game can get you 26 points per game. You know, I, I I'm, I'm thinking, you know, just off the top of my head here, here's a couple of names that, that had scored probably around that range. Um, and you know, given the shots, Shea Gilgis Alexander is number one to me. You're right, like he he is a player that could do that, and probably even more efficiently than Donovan Mitchell. I mean, he averaged twenty four point five. Shea did this season, so okay, yeah, that's that's not far off, right? Nope. Uh, Zach Levine, who's by the way is a free agent this year, or uh, could be a free agent this year, as another player that probably could give you that level of production, um, given the amount of shots. The Bradley Beal, uh, De'Aaron Fox, Brandon Ingram, uh, you know Anthony Edwards. DeJounte Murray. I'm, I know I'm naming some all-stars here, but the point is like, there are a ton of players in the NBA that can do what Donovan Mitchell does. There aren't a ton I, of players in the know. NBA that could do what Rudy Gobert does for an entire team, Scott. It's not like Rudy Gobert is a good individual defender. He's a great team defender. He is changing the whole team dynamic by being on the floor. Donovan Mitchell could fill it up, but I'm sure that they could find someone else, whether it be the draft, whether it be uh, piecing together players that could average around the same amount of points, uh, they could find ways to score efficiently uh, and and do it without Donovan Mitchell on their team. I think they would struggle to replace what Rudy Gobert brings defensively. That's why I would stick with Rudy Gobert and continue to try and build around him. Obviously, there are limitations, but I think that you you could replicate what Donovan Mitchell gives you on a night to night basis especially if he's not playing the defense that we think he can play. Um, there, there are plenty of players in the NBA, Scott, that could, that love to play one on the floor, right? Like one-way players. There are plenty of players that love to be DHs in the NBA. Uh, and Donovan Mitchell is slowly falling into that category, right? And I don't want to take away from, you know, 26 points per game because that's a lot of points. But 
there are rookies this year that could come in and you know two years from now could be averaging 26 in the league right like i i know you're laughing but it is true you're taking this too far no i'm not i think i think the, i think there are players in the in that are going to be in the draft this year that in two three years will be able to average 26 i do believe that 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 is that i i think that you can replicate that i i think you will have a tougher time finding someone in the draft this year that will be able to win three-time defensive player of the year i i like i that's just my opinion so if i'm the jazz i'm keeping rudy gobert i'm rolling with him i first of all it's going to be tougher to trade him you know because he's not an easy fit on any other team but for what you said you know donovan mitchell's younger he's going to bring you a better return uh i think there's a there's a gm out there that's probably going to uh overvalue his his actual talent and what he brings to the table and again, I, I know I sound like I'm hating on him, but I, 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 I just, I know it sounds like it. I want to dismiss the 26 points per game because he's a, he is a really good player. He's an all-star in this league. I just feel like he is more replaceable. Scoring to me in the league will always be more replaceable than someone who, who could be a defensive anchor because those guys don't grow on trees. I think our NBA has, is so talented now that scoring grows on trees now. Like you can find, you could be a bad team and have a twenty point per game score. Fred VanVleet just averaged twenty points per game in the NBA. He was drafted, but this he was is drafted. It's Fred different Van Vliet. though. Are you kidding me? It's different though. First of all, twenty six points is nothing to sneeze at. We can play the hypothetical no. game and be like, his five ten players who could average that, and they haven't. There's a reason for that because not many players do. Um, Donovan Mitchell is super talented, incredibly athletic. The amount of pressure that he puts teams going to the basket. Yes, he can settle for kind of pull up threes a little bit too much at times. Um, he's still an incredible athlete. I think he's improved greatly as a passer over the last couple seasons, even though the numbers might not reflect that, like the raw numbers. And also, I think the biggest thing here that you fail to acknowledge is that these aren't just empty numbers. Like the Jazz were the best team in the NBA last regular season. Um, yes, they had kind of a rough stretch this season. They were still one of the best teams in the West. Sure. And they had the number one offense in the entire league, which I think is very easy for everyone to forget about. Um, and Donovan Mitchell played a huge role in that. Like, yes, player. Rudy Gobert, the ability to set screens, roll to the basket. They they play the four other players, the perimeter players. They have a ton of three-point shooting. Um, but everything that Donovan Mitchell does offensively is kind of what gets that team ticking um, and that's where I disagree with you. I don't think you could just plug player X into the system, say you have the exact same amount of touches Donovan Mitchell, and they're going to have the number one ranked offense in the league. Like, yeah, maybe if you plug Shea into there, they would. I'm super high on Shea as well. I think he's absolutely incredible. Um, but some of those other players that you mentioned, like, I, I just don't know if they'd be able to make the same impact. So I, I, think I, the I do think off, the drop off would be a lot less than. You know, maybe they're not number one, but are they a top ten? I don't know. They, I, I think they, I think they would easily be a top ten with Zach Levine in there instead of Donovan Mitchell. Like I, I, and and and, and again, that's another all star, right? That that's not a that's not a you know a bench right. player here. I'm not I'm not comparing. I'm not. I don't want to disrespect Donovan Mitchell that much, where I'm comparing him to someone that's coming off the bench currently, but. I'm just saying that's replaceable like that. There are players in the league that could step in and do exactly what he's doing with the same amount of touches. My thing also ends with this, Scott. If you sit back and you think about what Donovan Mitchell is today and what his ceiling might be, is his ceiling ever going to be the best player on a championship team? And I can I can answer at this point in his career and say I don't think so. I'm closer to no. I'm probably 90 10. 
I'm 90% no and 10% anything could happen. So if that is the case, I already have a cap on my potential for my team. Do I think that Rudy Gobert is going to be the best player on the championship team? Absolutely not. But I do think that you could build around him to create a championship team, whereas if Donovan Mitchell is not the focal point of your offense, I struggle to see how you could build a team where he's number 1A or uh, the second option on a team. I, I cannot see him being you know, the same level of player unless it's going to be your turn, my turn style of offense where I would be confident in saying it's going to mesh enough for me to be a championship team even if he's your second best player on the team. And that's where I'm stuck with Donovan Mitchell, and that's where I would end up trading him. I just feel like it's easier to build around Rudy Gobert, much harder to build around Donovan Mitchell, even if you were to get someone that's better than him into the roster. I mean, he's 25 years old, sure, right? He still has his prime years ahead of him. He averaged 36 points in the playoffs two years ago in that first and round series. got bounced in the first round. And he averaged 32 last year um, in they, the playoffs. And they, this year, and they it, lost in the first round. No, they didn't. They made it to the, the, the second, second round. round. Second round, right. you're right. But, yeah. And they had an injury, um, and obviously things went off the rails for the Jazz. They lost in that Clippers series. They shouldn't have lost that series. But like we've, this guy is an explosive scorer, had success in the playoffs at an individual level, is still super young. Um, look, I'm, I'm not saying he's the perfect player. I'm not saying that he's going to definitely be the, the best player on a championship team and everything like that. But I also think you're underselling kind of his talent and what he's capable of doing not, on a night-to-night basis. He's an all-star. But he's not. If I look at it and say to myself, "Can I win a championship with him being my my best player on my team?" I like I said, ninety percent no, ten percent anything could happen. I just feel like right now, you know, you have to make a choice, and that was a question. And I'm going Rudy Gobert. I just feel like he's he's easier to build around. You're gonna get a lot more back for Donovan Mitchell than you would Rudy. Which again, that's me telling you how good I think Donovan Mitchell is, but. I do think that there's limitations here, and I do think that it's going to be tough to build around a guy that is a score-first two-guard, essentially, undersized, who plays no defense, none. And I, 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 you can't win with that right now. You can't win with the, the Donovan Mitchell that we have right now. Can he get better? He's 25, as you said. We'll be 26 next year. Yes, absolutely. Everyone in the NBA could get better. But right now, if I had the choice between the two of them, I'm going Rudy Gobert. I know what I, I have with it. him. I know what I have with him. I know what I can uh, could build around him. And I, you know, Donovan Mitchell is your best player on a championship team. Not seeing it. Um, I mean, look to your point of could you see him being the best player on a championship team? We don't have to do this exercise now. I bet you that list is not very long. It's short. So, it's very short. That's the point. So I, I just don't know if I can really use that as an argument, kind of against but him the, in that but situation. But the list, the list becomes longer when you say to yourself, "Can you see?" Uh, player X be a 1A or, or a 2 on a championship team and had figure out a way to get that done. That list is a lot longer than the, you know, A++ superstar player on a championship team, right? And I struggle to put Donovan Mitchell in pen on that list of player second option or 1A because I just don't know how he can – how he can perform without the ball in his hands as much as it is, uh, you know, next to another superstar that's going to demand a lot of the basketball with him. Like, that's just not his – I haven't seen it yet. So I just haven't seen it yet. 
I mean, not to compare him to this person, but like it feels like only three seasons ago, a lot of the conversation around Devin Booker was that like he doesn't contribute to winning basketball and he just sure. puts up empty stats, right? Sure. Situations are very different. Phoenix didn't have a good team around him. Um, they didn't make the playoffs, whereas Donovan Mitchell has basically been on a playoff team his entire career. Mm-hmm. So it is a different situation. But again, I just think things can change so quickly um, in the NBA. You put new personnel around him. Who knows how he adjusts, how he reacts. We already talked about how it seems like this chemistry issues with Rudy Gobert. If you surround him with players that he likes more, suddenly you're getting more effort defensively. Um, I, I, I just... I've been impressed by what I've seen over De- uh, Donovan Mitchell the last couple of years. The improvements that he has made, um, I'm pretty high on his talent. So, and that's no disrespect to Rudy. Rudy's fantastic. I mean, he's still arguably the he's one of the best defenders in the league. Arguably the best still. Um, but you know, there's also no denying that he has some holes in his game. And I do think it's going to be interesting to see what happens because I think Rudy Gobert, if he goes to another team. Um, you know, that's better equipped to kind of make up for some of the, the shortcomings in his game. Maybe we're talking about him as a completely different player. Um, but I, I do feel like there is kind of a ceiling to, to a Rudy Gobert team once you get into the playoffs. Like, I feel like we've seen that on both ends of the court, his inability to kind of punish teams for going smaller offensively. And again, maybe that's a jazz thing. Maybe they could give him the ball more and they're not. Um, and he goes to a new situation and they can kind of unlock that part of his game. Um, but I, I just... I don't know. It, this conversation, I feel like, has come to uh, pointing out Donovan Mitchell's weaknesses when, without acknowledging that Go, Gobert has some as well. So, it, I mean, it's still it's a fascinating discussion, um, yeah. and it's it's a huge off season for the Jazz, and that's why kind of what I was getting at with you know whether it is this this decision, which one they part ways with, do they even do that? Um, how that's going to frame the next you know one, two, five, ten years of this franchise. Yeah, it's a it's a ton. I mean, it's uh, it's not easy to to figure out ways to you know build around superstars. That's why I think it paid the big bucks these, these GMs that uh, are building these franchises. I will say though, uh, on the on the Devin Booker point, the even though Booker was on a bad team, right? Like he was a, he was on a, a bad team. He's putting up big numbers. People questioned whether or not he could impact winning. I don't think anyone questioned whether or not he could play next to another star. There was always someone that said, "Hey, just wait till he ends up with Carl Towns, right?" Like, and the reason behind so, that was because Devin Booker was a, a guy that could be a great catch and shoot player. Like even before Chris Paul shows up, he was a catch and shoot threat. He was a guy that you could move off the ball and, and still, you know, figure out a way to run off screens and, and be a catch and shoot threat. Now, can well, that's what he did in Kentucky. That? That's what he did Kentucky too. Exactly. Like and he was very he's very much pigeonholed into that. Dude was coming off the bench. So there was there's evidence of him being able to play with other talented players. Not to say that Donovan Mitchell hasn't had talent around him. I'm just saying in the version that we've had in the NBA, he's been he's benefited from being the primary ball handler a lot of the time. Mike Conley switched, you know, Mike Conley was brought in to help, you know, be a little bit of that ball handling guy next to him. Same with Bogdanovich, right? Like those two guys were brought in to help him with the ball handling responsibilities. When they have the ball in their hand, what the heck is he doing? He there's there's no impact to his you know he hasn't done anything off the ball to make you believe that he's going to impact the game in any way, shape, form, right? Like as soon as that ball's out of his hands, you can kind of relax because you know he's not really a, a huge catch and three threat. And he's not a guy that's been a, a huge cutter. He should be a much better cutter than what he is. So I, I'm just saying, from the ver- from the evidence we have, it's going to be tough to have him be the secondary option 
on a good team, which, you know, at being tough doesn't mean it's impossible. You know, there's there's been other fits in the world that have, have worked out. So that's the reason hey, why I would take Rudy. I will say this. If he was playing next to Nikola Jokic, I bet you he'd be a better cutter. Um, and you I saying that, so. by the way, I, I think it's it's interesting because we have the same conversation with Trey Young, right? Like he right. when once he gives the ball yes. up, what is he doing? Yes. Um, even even Luca, you know yes. what I mean? I, I think Jalen Brunson has improved a lot um, and kind of taken that load off of him. But it, it does feel like we're having a lot of these conversations with the same kind of archetype, right? It's like young player has the ball in their hands a ton, running tons of pick and rolls and ISOs. It's like it, it's a skill. It sounds really easy to be like. Hey, run off that screen and get to the corner, or like be able to catch and shoot. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Steph Curry is is arguably the best in the world at it. And look at how much he runs. Look at how he, you know he, he's constantly on go. He never slows down. Like that's not easy. Yeah. Um, and that really is a skill that I wonder, you know, if they if they do if they can kind of add that to their game. Yeah, a lot of you have to have it, or you you just don't. You know, I, I don't think uh, I don't think that's something that you could create in yourself uh, in the league. It's I haven't I haven't I can't remember a player doing that um, in my in my lifetime. And I, the the one player that I keep going back to is Paul George, but Paul George was even uh, more of a you know off ball player uh, until he turned into a superstar when he had the ball in his hands, uh, and then it was easy for him to go back to his roots and be an off ball player. Uh, playing alongside Russell Westbrook and and, and Kawhi Leonard uh, for the few you know months that he's been playing with Kawhi Leonard. Uh, what about what about uh, Kyrie? That's that's the one that Kyrie's came to mind good. for me. Of like yeah, comes in the NBA is very much like ball in his hands a ton. Yeah. Then he gets to play with LeBron. That kind of pushes him more to like a shooting guard role. Um, and even in Brooklyn, when they had James Harden and Kevin Durant, like he was very much a connector on that team. Yeah. Um, the things that he did offensively, his off-ball movement and stuff like that. that That's like the one name that comes to mind. But even then, like it is, to your point, probably can't name three, four, five players, right? Like it is it is a skill. It's really hard. Yeah, it's hard. That's why uh, when these super teams come together, it, it, it doesn't just, you know, mesh right away. Uh, it's, yeah. t- it's tough for, you know, Dwayne Wade to figure out what to do off the ball when LeBron James has it in his hands. and. Uh, Kyrie had to learn that, you know, with Kevin Love and, and LeBron on the floor. Kevin Love had the hardest, uh, you know, learning curve uh, going through mm-hmm. that. So, um, you know, good discussion. I, I, I do think it's uh, something we should highlight uh, potentially in the offseason. You know, players that could uh, benefit from, you know, watching some tape of how to actually work without the ball in their hands. All right, Scott, we, we went over time here. Uh, but a reminder, if you missed any part of this episode live, you can catch up, catch up on the podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, uh, NBA Sound System is the name. Rate and review. Um, and uh, give some five stars and, and, and leave, some, leave some comments. Maybe we'll read some of them one day. Uh, for Scott Rafferty, I'm Carlin Yay. Enjoy the game fives and uh, get yourself a bag of chips. We'll see you next week. Draft Lottery is coming up next week. So we'll talk about that. See you then right here on NBA Sound System.